Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the show that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and host of Dead Pilot Society. Such a good dead pilot for you this time. It is Perfect Harmony by Tim Long. Tim is a former head writer on Late Night with David Letterman and has been a writer and producer on The Simpsons for 24 years. It's an absolutely insane run that could literally only happen on that show. His pilot is about a warring pair of former musical partners. It's based loosely on Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel. Music fans will especially love this one, but so will fans of intelligent, literate, character-driven comedy. There's, uh, I believe there's no dick jokes or fart jokes in this one, but it's still really funny and really fun, I promise. And what a cast. Two legends playing the leads. Harry Shearer from Spinal Tap, from The Simpsons, uh, so many things. And Clancy Brown from The Shawshank Redemption, also uh, a million other things. The voice of Lex Luthor. Um, Naomi Ekperigan from Mythic Quest and the uh, her podcast, Couples Therapy, we're also going to be having a pilot that Naomi uh, and her partner Andy Beckerman wrote uh, coming up soon on the show. Uh, Josh Brenner from Silicon Valley, uh, Ennis Esmer from Blind Spot and Red Oaks, Mujan Zolfagari from Tuning Out the News, and from the Blacklist, our friend Marcus Bishop Wright. It's a great cast. It's a great pilot. And hey, if you want to see these legends and all these people reading it, see their faces in their Zoom boxes, just become a Max Fun member for as little as $5 a month. You get access to the video, all of the videos of all of our Zoom reads, all of our bonus content from past years. Just go to MaximumFun.org slash join. And now, enjoy Perfect Harmony. I'm John Moe. My show, Depress Mode, is all about mental health. And this week, I talk with Amanda Knox. She spent four years in an Italian prison for a murder she didn't commit. That's a lot of trauma, and she's okay talking about it. If I touch on something that you'd rather not get into, just say so. We'll cut the whole exchange out. But it also seems like you're pretty open, <laughs> open about a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am having trouble imagining anything that you could talk to me about <laughs> I that know, I... I know. What are we going to throw Amanda Knox with? <laughs> Depression Mode with John Moe, only on Maximum Fun. All right, I'm here with Tim Long, who maybe is just learning in this moment that we're going to do a quick little interview before this read. But regardless, I, hey, Tim. I'm a master of the moment. It's okay. Great. All right. Tell us a little bit about what we are about to hear. Well, this is a pilot that um, I remember I started talking about it with John Radler, who I think is on the line, who was working in Imagine at the time. And uh, I was just I just had my heart broken by another pilot uh, that had not been picked up. And John and I were just talking about the process of development and creative stuff. And then we just gradually started talking about Art Garfunkel and some hilarious things he'd said about Paul Simon and some mean things that Keith Richards has said about Mick Jagger. And we just started talking about the hilarity of difficult but brilliant musical duos. Um, and then we thought, and I really wasn't in the mood to develop, but I thought, oh, what the hell, let's try this out. And then at one point we started talking about it with the great um, Adam Schlesinger, who was the singer for Fountains of Wayne and a brilliant songwriter and just one of the nicest and most talented people I've ever met who unfortunately we lost to COVID last year and he was involved for a while and he was unbelievably funny and had a lot of ideas to contribute so even though Adam couldn't participate John and I developed it and we got really excited and we wrote this thing and I couldn't have been happier and we had a couple of pretty big A-listers attached whose names I probably won't mention right now um, and then I had my heart broken again uh, and it, we had we were picked up by Amazon but um, as everyone on this call probably knows, there's a million ways these things can go wrong, and we did all of them. So um, eventually it came a cropper, and I tried to repress the memory of it for a couple of years, and now here we are. You're resuscitating this painful trauma. So thank you. That's what we do here. We, we <laughs> resurface trauma, and we love it, but uh, I, think, I think you'll see it'll be worth, it'll be worth resurfacing with this amazing, amazing cast. All right, well, we'll talk more uh, about this later. Thanks for letting us read. 
uh, the script, and we're going to get into it. This is Perfect Harmony, the pilot written by Tim Long. We're in New York in Union Square. It's late afternoon. Sophia Downey, black and effortlessly hip, emerges from the subway. She holds a small portfolio case. She lights a cigarette, then pulls something from the case, an oversized hand-drawn cover for a graphic novel she created called Bitch from the Future. Sophia eyes the cover with pride until she hears, Dude! She looks up to see her brother, Scott Downey, getting out of a cab. Scott is a 21-year-old student at MIT, super scruffy and white to the point of translucent. Sophia very quickly puts out her cigarette and stashes the cover, then gives her brother a warm hug. Moments later in the village, Scott and Sophia stroll down University Place. They have the easy rapport of two siblings who are very close, but who both think the other one's full of shit. So, how's it going at MIT? Mm, my studies are enriching in a way that um, defies description. Uh, please don't do dad. I get enough of my voicemail. Hello, Sophia, my magnificent daughter. It's your father, Matt Downing. We know your name, dude. They, they approach Washington Square Park, where a crowd has gathered to watch two street performers with acoustic guitars sing a lovely song called American Twilight. Play something from this century. You even know what the song's about? Uh, yeah, it's about two guys who are trying to fuck our mom. And off the hippie-ish woman's stunned look, we cut to Emily Gladding's townhouse. We cl we're close on the face of Emily Gladding, in her early 50s, stylish and witty. Think Nora Ephron. She is staring at her computer screen. I'm so fucked. We widen to reveal Emily's office, an understated orgy of effortless chic. On the walls are framed posters for classic movies like All About Eve and It Happened One Night, as well as for Emily's own films, which include Tears of Nigeria, Flip Phone, and I'll settle for you. Emily picks up her cell phone and dials. What the hell are you thinking? About the state, smash it. About pants, fuck them. Every note of Downey's solo albums is a lie. I know everyone loves them, but they make me want to bleed out into the tub. <laughs> That's pretty good. Who said that? You did, to Burke Humphreys of Mojo Magazine. We now see what she's been looking at, the website for Mojo, the British magazine for obsessive pop music nerds and classic rock historians. The headline reads, Arlo opens up and opens fire on Matt. Shit, I thought he was just some uh, limey wank and wanted to talk music. Fuck him. And fuck him. Hey, I never got my check this month. As Arlo keeps ranting, Emily turns and sees the smiling face of her boyfriend, Graham Keller, late 40s, boyishly handsome, standing there holding a cookbook. How do you feel about carbonara? Very positive, but aren't you on a deadline? What are they going to do? I want him a Pulitzer. He leaves the room and Emily smiles. What a guy. She then returns to the phone. He's never going to read the goddamn thing. He's got the literacy of a can of fresca. Goodbye, Arlo. Buy my check. Emily quickly hangs up and makes another call. We intercut with Matt Downey's amazing apartment. Matt Downey answers the phone. Behind him, his wife Ingrid, late 20s, kooky, gorgeous, Scottish, draws with their toddler son, Finn. Matt Downey, hope you're having a Downey day. Well, I was. Matt oh. gasps with delight. How's my favorite ex-spouse? Hi, Emily. Tell her she's wondrous. Hi, Ingrid. Tell her she's very sexy. I was wondering if you'd read the Arlo piece. Arlo piece, the Arlo piece. Oh, right, right. I heard he um, slung a few arrows at me in Mojo. I honestly haven't uh, perused the... I just wanted to make sure it didn't get under your skin. Oh, fret not, please. There's only, the only thing under my skin is sadly more skin. <laughs> oh boy, I really do need a peel. Just then, Finn comes up and shows Matt the drawing he's made, a very crude rendering of his daddy. Oh, magnificent. You captured my soul in a few simple strokes. And is that chiaroscuro? The only appropriate term is haunting. Emily quietly hungs up as Downey waxes insane about his kid's drawing. She turns and sees Graham, now wearing an apron and holding a saucepan. He opens his mouth to ask a question, but before he can say anything, Emily throws her arms around him and hugs him hard. Thank you for not being them. Not sure what to say to that, Graham just pulls her close. 
We're in Emily's dining room. She sits at the table making notes on a movie script. Graham enters with the incredible meal he's prepared. Emily gestures to the script. Lost a lot of time to today's unpleasantness. Graham sets down the food and sits down and then quickly takes something else out of his jacket pocket and nervously turns it over in his hand under the table. Emily doesn't notice, but we can see that it's a ring box. You know, at the risk of jinxing everything, this might not make people throw up. From you, high praise. He looks down at his pocket again and steals himself for a life-defining moment. But just as, as he's about to open his mouth... Hey, listen to this. I had a call on the books today with Nathan Amram about casting, but then his girl calls and says Nathan can't talk or won't talk because he's quote-unquote bereft. And I'm like, bereft? What is this, Wuthering Heights? Then I find out, get this, his wife is leaving him for another woman who bears an almost eerie resemblance to Nathan Amram. Same build, same hair, same weird neck roll thing. So he should be flattered. This makes four divorces I know just this year. Man, marriage is a brutal racket. I rode that ride twice and I am done to living in sin. She raises her glass for a toast. Graham reciprocates, but he now looks kind of sick and Emily can't help but notice. Graham, what? Emily, will you marry me? He shows her the ring and she examines it for half a beat. What took you so long? And she runs around the table and kisses him. We have to call Scott and Sophia. Or maybe... He opens the door, revealing Scott and Sophia. Congratulations! Surprise! Emily hugs her kid as Graham stands there beaming. Oh my god, I hate surprises! We can tell this is obviously not the case. Saturday! Engagement party! Great! Modest, intimate. Or we shoot the moon, make people feel bad about their own parties. Champagne! Graham exits to grab a bottle. His phone buzzes on the table. Sophia reacts and grabs it. Oh, shit. She hands the phone to Emily, who reads a tweet that was just posted by Matt Downey. Everyone's got an opinion, including my ex-partner. We'll just see how we both do on the charts next week. L-O-L-O-L-O. Is that an extra O? Oh, God damn you, Matt. Do we think he knows what LOL means? A public feud after 10 years of private grumble. Nice work, boys. This is dire. Very dire. Ugh, I'll go see them both tomorrow. Graham comes back in with the champagne. See who? Whom? No one. Your phone was buzzing. She hands him his phone. He looks at her a little confused, then at his phone. He then heads back into the kitchen to get glasses. Note, nobody is thinking about it right now, but it's odd that Graham's phone got the Twitter alert about Downey. It's our first very small hint that Graham is keeping a secret of his own. Emily looks sad and anxious. Sophia can't help but notice. We'll deal with it, Mom. You just enjoy this. I officially love you both. It's been up in the air till now. She exits to join Graham. Scott and Sophia exchange a weary look. I'll take Dad. You take Finkelman? All right. Can we switch? I was going to ask you the same thing. And we're in Matt Downey's amazing apartment the next morning. Downey, wearing stylish two-toned shoes and a perfectly distressed leather jacket, fairly glides down the hallway towards a beaming, luminous Ingrid who holds Finn. Today is the release date for Downey's new album, Swimming to Mount Everest. And as a result, he's acting 10% more downy than usual. He tussles the boy's hair and gives Ingrid a big kiss. Mm, you are miraculous. And he strides away down the hallway and into the elevator. Once he's gone, Ingrid's face turns troubled as she looks down at her iPhone. On it, we see a review for Matt's album with a headline reading, Downy Disc, A Definite Dud, along with a score of one and a half stars out of five. A few moments later, we're in a town car. Downey sits in the back seat, heading downtown for a day of promotion for the new album. He's abuzz with excitement. Excuse me, Akimba. Um, this is unforgivably self-adoring, but would you mind... Your new album? It's all queued up. And Akimba, Matt's West African driver, pushes a button, and Downey's new album begins to play through the car's sound system. The cover art is on the stereo console, and it features Downey in the lotus position, floating several feet above Mount Everest as several Sherpas look on in awe. We're tight on Downey's face as he smiles broadly and grooves to the music. 
We match cut to Arlo's apartment. We're close on his face as he listens to the same song through outdated speakers. He looks appalled, angry, embarrassed, and then just a little sad. Oh, man. Man. He kicks one of the speakers onto its face, sending the CD flying. Downey's tortured warbling is now muffled. Arlo then yanks the power cord from the stereo, silencing it completely. He then goes over to what looks like a vintage synthesizer and plays a loud, vaguely chilling chord. It seems to soothe him. Arlo closes his eyes and appears to be in a state of transcendent bliss. Just then the intercom buzzes. With impressive agility, Arlo runs across the apartment to get it. FedEx? Sophia, I need to talk to you. Yeah, did they, do you see the FedEx guy? Nope, just a guy on your stoop who says I have a nice ass. We hear a drunk guy over the speaker. You do! Buzz, Arlo hits the buzzer to let her in the front door. In the TV studio, a crowd is gathered outside the studio windows of a Today-style morning talk show, holding up signs and gawking inside. Inside the makeup room, a makeup woman prepares Downey for his appearance, while a male stage tech mics him up. There's a slight commotion off screen, and then Scott walks in, followed by a tense-looking security guard. Scott, my magnificent son. Hey, Dad. They share the world's most awkward father-son hug. Congratulations on the new LP. Thank you. It's more of a song cycle. There's a German term. Liederkreis. Uh-huh. Mom wants you to stop tweeting stuff about Arlo. It's a shit show, and she's worried it'll escalate to a clusterfuck. Uh, don't worry, don't worry. My little zinger was the perfect last word. Le mot juste. <laughs> Nothing more needs to be said. All right, let's go with that. I'll see you. You're on in five, Matt. Scott moves to leave, but Matt grabs his arm. Wait, wait, wait. What's going on? What, what do you mean? I mean, I never see you. How's school? How, how are the ladies? If in fact ladies are your purview. You got any problems that your old man might be able to help you with? Uh... Scott's sardonic mask softens a little and it becomes clear he does have a problem, a big problem, and he could really use some help. Can Scott tell his dad? Fuck no. Instead he blurts. Mom's getting married again. Matt stares at him, disbelieving. He smiles, then grimaces, then looks skyward, then laughs nervously. It's like he can't quite settle on an expression to match what he's feeling. Matt, we really need to go. And the segment producer and a male PA lead Downey away, like a man being led to the gallows. Please don't leave. We're in Arlo's apartment. It's a grim five-story walk-up, a depressing place for anyone to live, let alone a former best-selling pop star. Who gives a rat's ass? In Arlo's living room, he's now sitting across from Sophia. Because she used to be married to you, and you still talk to her all the time? Arlo stares at Sophia for a beat in a manner that's not that different from the way Matt stared at Scott. Both men are incredibly affected by the news of Emily's engagement, and both would do almost anything to avoid admitting it. All right. I didn't even want to come here. And why did you? He gets up and starts rooting through some items on his coffee table. Meanwhile, Sophia stands up and looks around the chaotic apartment. Dude... When's the last time you left this place? What kind of question is that? I don't know. I guess we all worry. Who doesn't? Jesus Christ. All right, then. She moves to go. She's got other shit to worry about. She's already had enough Arlo for one day, but then... I read your thing. From under a pile of old newspapers, he pulls out what he's been looking for. The galleys for Sophia's graphic novel, Bitch from the Future, buried under a bunch of newspapers. Oh, that was quick. So... I really like it. Not all of it, but uh, you've got some talent, kid. If she does her best to hide it, Sophia is delighted. I just have a couple of notes. And he hands her the galleys. They're stuffed to bursting with hundreds of post-it notes, each of them covered with Arlo's handwritten scrawlings. Sophia examines the galleys for a moment, including a large red stain on the cover. Is this blood? Tomato soup. And we go to the talk show. We're on air. Matt Downey is seated next to the hosts, a George Stephanopoulos type and a Gail King type. Matt seems a little unfocused and off his game, clearly still taken aback by news of his ex-wife's engagement. <laughs> You've had an incredible career. Gold records, sold out tours, multiple awards, including eight Grammys. But today we want to talk about one very special record. Uh, yes, yes. It's called Swimming to Mount Everest, and it comes out today, in fact. It's really a uh, culmination of sorts. Uh-huh. I'm sure it is. But first, we wanted to talk about this album. 
She holds up a vinyl copy of an old album by Downey and Finkelman. On the cover, Matt and Arlo, much younger and much hairier, beam broadly from the walkway of a large New York bridge. Mm, best Wishes from the Tri-Bro Bridge Authority by Downey and Finkelman, released 30 years ago today. There's a huge round of applause. He grows a little tense. This is the last thing he really wants to discuss. 30 years. Sunrise, sunset. It, it all goes away so fast. Did you and Arlo have any idea this record would have that kind of impact? These things always blindside you. Perhaps we had an inkling. But I had more than an inkling about this new record. It, it took me four years to make, and I recorded it with indigenous musicians in five different countries. Peru, Nepal, Nicaragua, Donsmark, and the Gaspe Peninsula, which, of course, is part of Le Quebec. <laughs> We have to take a short break, but first we're going to hear one of my favorite Downey and Finkelman songs. This is Playground Pals. As the show goes to commercial, we hear a gorgeous acoustic song called Playground Pals over a photo montage of Downey and Finkelman in younger, happier days. We also see quick shots of people, the hosts and audience members, even members of the crew, rapturously enjoying the song and the photos. One burly stagehand looks like he just might cry. We're continuous in Arlo's apartment, where Sophia reads each of the post-it notes one by one, while Arlo plays his forbidding solo masterpiece, Manic Transistor, at a daunting volume. Finally, Sophia closes the galleys, walks over, and turns down the music. Great album. These are amazing fucking notes, Arlo. Thank you so much. He gives her a dismissive don't mention it wave, and just then the intercom buzzes and he runs to get it. Oasis Deli! Jesus Christ! None of your bullshit, okay? He buzzes up the delivery guy, then starts stomping around the apartment. He's grumbling and muttering something that we can't quite make out. What is it now? I told him, don't send Cesar. He always wants to talk about the shit I did with your dad. I don't want to talk about that shit. Motherfucker. He knocks over a stack of books. Sophia stares at him with deep concern for a beat, and then she starts laughing. Arlo looks pissed, but then he smiles too. <laughs> all right, all right, I'm a crank. And the fucking piece of work. Ah, but so are you. That's why we get along. Sophia gets up and grabs her stuff. See ya, Arlo. Goodbye, gumdrop. They share a hug and Sophia exits. A smiling Arlo crosses over to one of his synthesizers. But then there's immediately a knock on the door. What, you forget something? He goes to get it. It's Cesar, the annoying deli delivery guy. Without speaking, Arlo starts to count out some money. After a tense beat. So I bought Matt and Arlo live at the Fillmore? No, nope. He slams the door on Cesar. Leave it on the mat, put it on my tab. Okay. You also got a FedEx sticky. Arlo's eyes open very wide. He opens the door to find a FedEx sticky attached to the food. What the? He grabs the food and reads the sticky. Sorry we missed you, Arlo Finkelman. Arlo runs across the apartment and gets to the window just as the FedEx guy is driving away. I'm Arlo Finkelman. I've been here the whole fucking time. Pulls out his tuna fish sandwich and starts to devour it with undisguised fury. Okay, this latest wave, this, this, this uh, whole Omicron thing has made eating out fraught once again. So maybe you want to stay in tonight. Uh, and look, maybe you want to cook but you don't feel like going to the store or maybe you want to try a new restaurant but if you're staying in DoorDash connects you with everything you want whenever and however you want it along with the restaurants you love you can now get groceries I don't know if you knew this I didn't really know this but you can get groceries and other essential items delivered with DoorDash you can get drinks you can get snacks you can get whatever other household items you need in under an hour there are over 300,000 DoorDash partners, and you can support your neighborhood go-tos, or you can choose from your favorite uh, chains, national chains, Popeyes, Chipotle, Cheesecake Factory. Ordering is easy. Your items will be left safely outside your door if you choose contactless delivery drop-off. For a limited time, our amazing listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code DEADPILOTS. That's 25% off. It's up to a $10 value and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code DEADPILOTS. Don't forget, 
That's code DEADPILOTS for 25% off your first order with DoorDash. Subject to change, terms apply. Breakfast is tough. Is it just me? I find it incredibly difficult to figure out what to eat for breakfast. Because sometimes I don't feel like eggs, but most other American breakfast foods are all so sweet. I don't like to eat all that sugar at breakfast. If you've been trying to cut down on carbs or sugar, it might feel like the most delicious breakfast foods are uh, off the breakfast table for you. But, hold on, in comes Magic Spoon cereal to the rescue. Magic Spoon has zero grams of sugar, has 140 calories, 13 to 14 grams of protein, so it's going to make you feel full, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. It's keto-friendly, it's gluten-free, it's grain-free, it's soy-free, and it's low-carb. So you get you can get this variety pack. The four flavors are cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. It's... this. Magic Spoon is really good. I was a little bit skeptical because of like all those things that it's free of that I mentioned, but it really tastes just like the delicious cereals you remember from your childhood or maybe more recently. You you can mix the cocoa and the peanut butter together. It's like a peanut butter cup. They're, uh, I think Frosted may be my favorite toss-up between Frosted and peanut butter. Uh, My kids like the, uh, the fruity. But they're all really good um, and super nutritious. So go to magicspoon.com slash deadpilots to grab a variety pack and try it today. Be sure to use our promo code deadpilots at checkout. You'll save $5 off your order. And look, Magic Spoon, they're confident. They're so confident in their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. So remember... Get your next delicious bowl of cereal at magicspoon.com slash deadpilots and use the code deadpilots to save $5 off a variety pack. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. For over a decade, MaxFunCon has been an incredible weekend of learning, connecting, and laughing with folks in the MaxFun community. And, if all goes according to plan, the last regularly scheduled MaxFunCon will take place in Lake Arrowhead from June 3rd to June 5th, 2022. We have a very limited number of tickets remaining. To make them available to the maximum number of people, we'll be opening our waitlist for tickets on January 23rd at 5 p.m. Pacific. That'll be your chance to be first in line to purchase tickets, and we'll go down the waitlist until we're at capacity. More details at maxfuncon.com. And mark your calendars for Sunday, January 23rd at 5 p.m. Pacific. Back at the talk show. The show is back from commercial. Downey has a slight edge about him now. He wants to discuss his new album, and the hosts seem to want to discuss anything but. Oh, how's your beautiful family? My wife, Ingrid, tremendous. Finn, my gorgeous son, always tremendous. Everything changed when I became a father two years ago. We angle on Scott watching the show backstage on a monitor two years ago. What the hell? He walks out. Meanwhile... And about Arlo, he said a few things in a British magazine recently. We cut to Matt, his face frozen in a shit-eating grin. Is that a sore subject? Because you can just say not on next question. No, 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 not at all. All queries welcome, ask away, open book. Were you upset by Arlo's remarks? Matt starts to say something and then stops. He then starts to say something else and stops again. He finally emits something between a strangled noise and a giggle which elicits a slight awkward laugh from the crowd. Uh, Okay, right now we're going to hear a song from Matt's great new solo album. Indeed we will. The track is called Tango Caliente. Oh, sounds sexy. It's about the effects of global warming on the native peoples of Uruguay. And we're close on a pair of hands playing an angelic chord on a synth. We widen to reveal that it's Arlo, not Matt, playing one of the many keyboards in his apartment. The music quickly turns chaotic and angry. The song reflects his torment as well as his genius. It sounds fucking amazing. We then intercut with the talk show, Matt finally playing music from his new album. He plays the keyboard and sings while a crack group of three musicians backs him up. Something's missing. We cut around to members of the audience and see them looking just a tiny bit bored. Cut back and forth between the two performances. They're very different, but they also strangely hook up and complement each other. 
This musical sequence ends with Matt receiving a tepid round of applause from the studio audience and Arlo abruptly stopping mid-song with accompanying feedback and picking up his phone. In Emily's townhouse office, Graham is typing on his laptop when Emily pops her head in. I gotta go see Arlo. He didn't get his royalty check. Tell me again why you still do this stuff. I mean, for Matt and Arlo. Honey. They're your ex-husbands. It's a little weird. I know. And the answer is simply a, a thoroughly fucked up cocktail of worry and guilt and inertia and genuine love and genuine hate and financial entanglement, thank you, divorce, and a long, painful, complex history together that, frankly, breaks my brain. She shoots him a look happy, but Graham's not happy. Okay, but you never really talk about that history. I mean, I know the basics, but... Well, that might be for the best, Graham. Sorry, I, I don't want that kind of marriage. I, I need to know it all. She shoots him another look. All of it? There's a real cocktail in it for you. Moments later, Emily takes a very long sip of a very strong mixed drink that Graham has prepared for her. She continues to sip on the very strong drink for the remainder of the scene. Okay, you're at Vassar and you write a mean review of Matt and Arlo's show. I know all that. And then we somehow just started hanging out all the time. Right, right. You were their muse. No, I helped them with lyrics, stagecraft, editing. They had one song that was 22 minutes long. I was a partner. We were like Jules and Jim. I've never seen it. Matt really looked up to Arlo back then. I mean, we both did, but Arlo was like Matt's mystic guru father figure or something. It made things weird when feelings arose. Sensual feelings. One night we were in, where was it? Uh, rural Pennsylvania after a show and I'm in this ghastly bar with Matt. It's snowing and he starts laying the full downy on me, touching my face, touching his own face. <laughs> uh-huh. And so what happened? Well, nothing. The boys had made some pretty inflammatory anti-war remarks at the show that night. And so at that crucial moment, Arlo bursts into the bar and says, sorry to interrupt dipshits, but I think the welcome wagon's here. And I peek outside the bar and there's like five townies in the parking lot chanting, down E, Finkelman. And one of them has a baseball bat. Jesus. So we run out the back and we, I can't believe we did this. We hid in this dumpster. We're trying to be very quiet. But then Matt and Arlo start arguing about who came in too early on that night's encore, like really loudly. And you're like, hello, we're gonna get killed here. <laughs> but they were so funny and smart and mean to each other. Oh, they could be so mean. And I'm trembling from fear, but laughing at these brilliant idiots because it was so fucking cold. And I distinctly remember thinking to myself, I will never again be as happy as I am right now. We're close on Graham. He's been loving the story so far, but suddenly he bears a slight resemblance to a man who's been punched in the stomach. I don't know how we got out of that uh, pickle, but eight months later, I was married to Arlo. Six years later, Matt, two kids, another divorce, and now you. Oh my God, we're engaged! <laughs> She throws her arms around Graham and kisses him, but just then her phone rings. It's Arlo. Emily checks it, thinks for a second, then hits decline call and resumes kissing Graham. But then the phone rings again. It's Arlo again. Just go. Emily gives him one last smooch, then departs. Graham sits there lost in thought for a moment, not upset exactly, but sort of pondering. He then drinks the last of Emily's drink himself. At the TV studio, Downey is escorted down the hall by the PA. I thought that was wonderful. Didn't that seem wonderful to you? That was. Uh, definitely. I, I missed part of it. I was out getting coffee filters. They get to the stage door and Matt steps outside. On 53rd Street, Matt scans the street from his car as the PA bids him farewell. Uh, take care, Mr. Downey. The album's great. Don't worry about the reviews. What? Matt quickly turns around, but the door is now closed and the PA is gone. We hear another man's voice. Mr. Downey? 
Matt turns back towards the street and sees a Nepalese man dressed in traditional garb. Oh, 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 hello, sir. I see you're wearing the traditional Nepalese kurtha. I went to your country to do a record with your Duhuri musicians. I know. I was one of them. Downey looks confused for a beat. Meanwhile, a very small crowd of onlookers gathers to watch the fun. Dude, it's me, Kapal. We worked together for four weeks. Oh, of course. How, how are you? Um, Gopal. Gopal. I'd be a lot better if you'd given me and my fellow musicians the songwriting credits you'd promised. Plus, you left our village a mess. Empty kombucha bottles everywhere. Oh, well, I don't know anything about that. I'm just a humble troubadour. An attractive Nepalese woman in her early 30s steps up besides Gopal. She wears American business attire and does not speak in a Nepalese accent. Well, hello. I'm Mira Banhari from the Nepalese consulate. We take acts of cultural appropriation very seriously. Hey, 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 what? Everyone just needs to calm down a little bit here. That's interesting, Mr. Downey. Next, you'll be telling me to smile. No, no, no. That's very offensive. Though, if I'm being honest, I never totally understood why. The woman reacts, offended. Just then we hear a honk. It's Downey's town car idling 30 yards away. Downey begins backing up towards the car slowly. Well, it was an honor to engage uh, in this dialogue of mutual rapprochement and global universal. He abruptly stops talking and books it to the town car and climbs in. Drive! The car takes off like a shot. Matt looks relieved. But then he reaches for the iPad and types Downey swimming reviews. Results are not pretty. A bunch of reviews come up and they're all bad. Swimming to nowhere, a mountain without peaks, an Everest of bullshit, and career-ending disaster. Downey's face slowly crumbles into a rictus of pain. Kimba, take me to Barney's. We go to Arlo's apartment where he opens the door, revealing Emily. She barrels in, handing him a FedEx envelope. I got there just as FedEx was about to close. Thank God the girl behind the counter was a fan. Arlo grunts in acknowledgement as he rips open the envelope, revealing a check from Worldwide Residual Incorporated for a little over two grand. Ha <laughs> ha! Thanks, Sam. He exits, entering the kitchen. You're welcome. And thanks so much for making me your messenger girl. Arlo re-enters the room, holding a pear and a knife. He looks at Emily oddly. She's never complained about doing this kind of thing before. Hmm. What else were you doing? She looks at him appalled. Are you fucking kidding me? Uh, so I hear you're getting hitched again? When are you going to learn you got it right the first time? So, will you come to our engagement party? We're getting Zabars. Great. Ten kinds of cheese for 12 kinds of asshole. 13 if he's coming. Emily looks at him. Of course Matt's coming. Well then, with all due respect, there's no fucking way. Jesus, Arlo, this is important. I don't care if you come to my thing, but... What? Just say it. I just wish you'd leave this apartment. He throws down his pear and the knife. You do, huh? Well, I wish I could find a pear that had any fucking taste. I wish everyone on Wall Street was in jail and the people in jail for smoking doobies were home smoking them with their families. And I wish you and him hadn't... No, Arlo, we're not doing this. I just wish everything had gone down differently. Me too. But they didn't. Let me know if you change your mind. Yeah, well, the chances of that are roughly... But she's already gone with an ever slow, slight slam of the door. In Matt's town car, he's surrounded by many, many bags and packages from Barney's. Right here's fine, Akimba. Gets out of his car about a half block from his home and starts walking the rest of the way with his bags, looking pensive. But then down he sees something that instantly lifts his spirits. It's his son, Finn, standing in front of his building with his wife, Ingrid, and the nanny. The little boy runs into his daddy's arms and Matt lifts him up in an embrace filled with pure, uncomplicated joy. Finn then jumps out of his dad's arms and runs towards his mom, who leads him towards the building. Matt trails behind, looking blissful, but then his phone rings. Emily, hello, and congratulations. We intercut with Emily, just opening the front door of her home. She's not really in a mood for Matt's shit. Thanks. Uh, I had to cut another check for Arlo. Just FYI, he still has no idea. 
the bitterest cynic is always the truest naif. Who said that, uh, Moliere? No, probably you. Emily walks in to find Graham reading a book. How'd it go? I'm just on the phone with Matt talking about Arlo. A look passes over Graham's face, a dawning, horrified realization that by marrying Emily, he's also marrying these two other idiots. She'll never be rid of them. And neither, apparently, will Graham. So how is our tempestuous friend? Emily makes a non-committal noise. She doesn't really want to get into it. My, my erstwhile colleague who thinks so highly of me. I should probably go. Ah, me too. I'm getting another call. Oh, looks like Europe. Emily smiles wanly at this totally unnecessary lie and then hangs up. She then turns with a big smile to where Graham was just sitting, but he's not there anymore. Graham? Oh, shit. We then cut back to Matt on the street in front of his home, still holding his Barney's bags. For the first time all episode, he doesn't just seem sad. He seems bereft, lost, and completely out of gas. He walks back into the San Remo, his apartment building, still holding the phone, the weight of the world on his shoulders, establishing shots of New York. As one of Downey and Finkelman's loveliest songs plays, we see various beautiful shots of New York at night, then morning, then day again, to indicate that we are now no longer operating on the same day. As the music continues, we cut around to all of our characters getting ready for Emily and Graham's engagement party, ending with a shot of Arlo on the couch in his boxers, watching the French crime thriller Le Cercle Rouge. He's not getting ready for shit. He mouths along with the words in the movie in perfect French and occasionally yells at the screen, also in French. Emily's townhouse bathroom, evening. It's a gorgeous his and hers bathroom. Graham shaves while Emily does her makeup. I promise I'll step back from those two demons. Actually, one's a demon, the other one's more of a goblin. You don't have to say that. I know, but you're the only man I want to sit in cold garbage with, and I want to do it the rest of my life. Graham looks at her a little skeptical, but also tentatively relieved. Good. So what time are the caterers coming? He leaves the room. Emily's happy, but knows she still has work to do. Matt, in his study, dressed to the nines, ponders something in his hands. See, it's a copy of Mojo with the Arlo interview. He's not sure he wants to open it. I ordered us a car. You think of everything, and then you think of three more things. Finally, he opens the magazine and begins to read the offending article. Finkelman finally called me back at 2 a.m. He had more to say about Downey. A lot more. And the voice of the article switches to Arlo's. The guy's a huge talent. Hell, I, thought, I always thought it more of his talent than he did. And he writes decent lyrics when he really goes for it. We push in on Arlo on the phone. We're in a flashback several weeks back. He's in his boxer shorts talking to the interviewer. And in the day, the guy just disappoints me. He, be he betrayed me. He betrayed his art and then he betrayed himself. Breaks my goddamn heart. And we dissolve intercut with Matt, who looks pained and chagrined. Look, man, my life's not for everyone, but I make more than enough of my royalty checks. I'm free. And he's a slave. It's that fucking simple. We're back on Matt, who goes from looking confused to looking like he's going to cry to just getting angry. Checks the doorway, then picks up his phone. Emily's living room a bit later. She's helping the catering team arrange the food. She then hears her phone buzz. She looks and sees that she's missed calls from both Matt and Arlo. She stares at the phone for a second, clearly pondering whether to call the guys back when Graham comes in with another platter of food. Emily reacts as if she's been caught doing something illicit. Graham exits and Emily ponders a small but momentous decision. In Arlo's apartment, he's now watching RuPaul's Drag Race when the phone rings. Yo, Em! Yeah, you know, I, I, I was just thinking. But it's not Emily, it's Downey calling for the first time in over a decade. Holy fuck. Who do you think writes those royalty checks, Arlo? Think about it. Maybe you're not as free as you think. And he hangs up. Now it's Arlo's turn to look confused and then shocked and then angry. He picks up the royalty check he was sent and examines it closely, then furiously begins typing into his clunky mainframe computer. Emily's townhouse that night, a glittering party is in full swing. A small jazz ensemble plays as we follow a server with a tray of champagne glasses, stopping at various groups of chattering partygoers. First Matt, then Ingrid, and two other couples. 
Oh, I would call this suspiciously whirlwind. I'm not judging. I actually introduced them. He didn't. Indirectly? Fine, yes, indirectly. Ingrid silently shakes her head to the others in the group. The server moves along to Emily, who's talking to an editor type, Brian Turnauer, late 40s, and his boyfriend, Jeremy, late 20s, very young, very tall, very hot. Everyone at the magazine had a crush on Graham. That brain, that jawline, forget it. Matt walks by eating a fancy cupcake, catches Emily's eye, then gestures toward the room at the party. Ooh, 10 downies out of 10. <gasps> well, that's all I wanted. Stop the party now. <laughs> Matt flashes an enigmatic smile and keeps walking. Emily, Emily then turns and sees Maya Caniglia enter the room. Maya is fun, cute, and super smart. She's a bit of a wise ass, and despite her world class, a bit of a millennial fuck up. Maya! She and Emily hug. In the far background, we see Sophia looking on at her mom and Maya, annoyed. Brian, Jeremy, this is my friend Maya, who just graduated Yale Law. Brian and Jeremy make impressed noises. Mm. Maya does a dismissive, self-deprecating wave of the hand. It's really just an awesome achievement. I'm amazing. The guys laugh, and so does Emily. (laughs) Maya's dad used to be the manager for... Just then, Graham walks by, smiling at Emily. Two guys whose names I can't recall. Would you excuse me? She follows Graham into the kitchen. So, you gonna follow in your dad's footsteps? Maya shrugs and then grabs a cocktail off a nearby tray. I just know I don't want to be a lawyer. Please don't make me be a lawyer. She grabs Jeremy's arm in mock horror and the guys laugh. (laughs) I like this one. Nice arms. She chugs her drink and then smiles and waves at Sophia across the room. Sophia scowls back and keeps walking. There's clearly history there. In the kitchen, Graham grabs a tray of food and moves to take it back into the living room. Emily grabs his arm and strokes it. Not a disaster. Indeed. And I wish they'd all get the hell out of our sex palace. She takes the tray out of Graham's hand and gives him a long, passionate kiss. He's startled at first and then into it. It actually starts to get a little hot and heavy as Graham leans into her and starts to unbutton her blouse. But then we hear Arlo from off screen. You're a fucking asshole. Emily's eyes open very wide. We go back to the living room where Downey is getting screamed at by Arlo, who has shown up at the party. You presumptuous piece of shit. You jejune motherfucker. You walking googly-eyed monument to mediocrity and bullshit. Wow. Oh, my. Uh... Yeah, not such a tough guy now, are you? How stupid do you think I am? Uh, sidebar, I dispute the premise of this question. Oh, fuck off. I don't need your fucking pity checks. He takes a check out of his pocket, crumples it up, and throws it at Matt. Uh, I believe the moment calls for colloquy on the piazza. I'll kick your fucking ass on the piazza. Who talks like that? I'm, uh, somewhat averse to straightforward locutions. Arlo! Emily yells loud enough to startle everyone, including herself. She then starts walking slowly towards Arlo, speaking very calmly like she's conducting hostage negotiations. First off, thanks for coming. Delighted to see you. Second, I bear much of the blame here, too. Oh, I fucking know it. The two of you planning behind, plotting behind my back. Sounds familiar. Emily and Matt look at each other, busted. Arlo then picks up the crumpled check and reads it scornfully. Worldwide Residual Incorporated. Not very creative. Arlo turns back to Downey, venom in his eyes. But that's no surprise. Oh, man. There's a brief moment when Arlo seems to soften a little. He and Downey look at each other for a beat with something that resembles tenderness, but then the moment passes. Fuck you, hack. He turns on his heels, but just as he's almost exited. You're just jealous. You've always been jealous. (laughs) That is a fucking joke. You think you're a bold visionary? You know what's bold? Performing for audiences. Going outside, shut in. Glib, derivative. Angry, pretentious. Magic transaction, whatever. Magic transistor. Yeah. You pandering, irrelevant, dressed like a clown. What? You look like some bowling alley habitué. 
You look like a praying mantis in $1,000 jeans. Arlo starts to walk out, pointing to various people. He points to Graham. B-plus talent. Points to the bass player. No feel for the instrument. He arrives at Emily. He starts to say something, but it catches in his throat. He then turns to the crowd. Fuck you all and good night. He exits. Stunned silence all around, followed by loud murmurs. Emily scans the room for Graham and eventually finds him standing near the stairway. He looks annoyed, but not surprised. Emily mouths the words, I'm so sorry. Graham stares at her for a moment, then walks up the stairs. Emily turns back and finds Maya standing beside her. You were married to those guys? <sighs> yep. Lucky you. They're so much fun. Maya grabs yet another drink, then heads to the buffet. Emily watches her go, a gl the glint in her eye that suggests she's getting an idea. We then pan across the room and settle on Downey, gazing out the window at Finkelman as he stomps away down the sidewalk. Off Downey's extremely ambiguous smile, we hear one of Downey and Finkelman's greatest hits, and we fade out. End of show. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that, and you must come back next week to listen to my interview with Tim and uh, his uh, producer on the project, John Radler, who's the executive at Imagine. They're doing the project. It's uh, it's really it's a good one. Come back next week. Dead Pilot Society is produced by me and my partner Ben Blacker and our associate producer Noah Finling. Hey, if you like this show, just leave us a review. Have you done it yet? Leave us a review. Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps. Tell a friend. Uh, subscribe. Hopefully you're already subscribed. But subscribe. And follow us on social media to find out all the latest. We're on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod and on Instagram at Dead Pilots Society. Until next time, I'm Andrew Reich. Thanks for listening. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.